If you enjoy listening to Voices in Cloud, check out David Linthicum's reports on gigaohm.com. They're about data complexity and cloud solutions, addressing many of the topics covered in this podcast series. Hey guys, welcome to the Gigaohm Voices in the Cloud podcast. This is the one place you will hear from industry thought leaders providing no-nonsense advice on how to succeed with cloud computing, IoT edge computing, and cognitive computing. I'm Dave Blinthicum, best-selling author, speaker, executive, and B-List geek. And this week is my special guest, Bobby Allen. Bobby is the uh, CTO and evangelist for Cloud Genera. Um, and by the way, I think I may have mis- mis- uh, mispronounced that, but we'll talk about that after we get going. Veteran of Intel, Bank of America, and multiple startups, including successful acquisition by former CSC. And uh, he's basically, you know, trying to take this whole uh, cloud selection process really to the next level. I had a briefing with these guys about uh, four weeks ago. I'm very interested because I'm uh, kind of lazy and I would love to kind of hand off the uh, cloud selection process to uh, guys like Bobby and his company. So, Bobby, you fill in the missing pieces. You're down in North Carolina. So how did you get to Cloud Genera? You know, what was the last five years of your life like? Yeah, thank you, David. First, thank you for having me on the program. Great to, to talk to you. I really respect a lot of your thought leadership in the industry. Um, you're right. Cloud Genera is actually headquartered right here in Charlotte, North Carolina, which we call Silicon South, for those who don't know. And I got the Cloud Genera. Uh, it'll be actually five years in August that I've been here. Um, and I got here by way of a couple other startups. I was at a startup called Service Mesh, which is in the kind of cloud management space before they got acquired by CSC. And just really love the feel of a, a small, nimble company that's really attacking problems aggressively. And Cloud Journal kind of fit the bill for that because one of the things I saw in the CMP space is that people were doing a lot of things but couldn't really answer why. They didn't really have the the upfront justification. They were just kind of connecting the different tech and it was more like a science fair project than a way to really add value to the business. And so bumped into Brian Kelly, who's uh, based right here in Charlotte, who's also a fellow Michigan grad, go Wolverines. And uh, he had built a company that was really kind of doing what I wanted to do, which is really to help people demystify things and try to take what seems kind of like smoke and mirrors in many ways in terms of cloud and really distill it down to real business values so people can have good conversations and make data-driven decisions. Got it. So Cloud Genera, that's the way you pronounce it. Yes, sir. But we're not overly sensitive about the name. So, but yes, it is Cloud Genera. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I love, I, uh, and the worst of mispronouncing names, specifically company names, specifically things like that, where you're just not a common word, but uh, it's kind of a cool word. So, you know, yeah, thank you. This, this is kind of an interesting space because, um, you know, I've been looking at cloud governance and looking at, um, you know, intelligence systems and looking at easier ways to do migrations and cloud selections. And kind of my world is that I'm, you know, writing these position papers and these, uh, you know, presentations for clients. And the fact that we're trying to figure out what's the best bang for the buck, what are the best degree cloud technologies, considering skills that they have, use cases, sectors, you know, things like that. And, and it, it just seems to me that, you know, if I'm doing this, you know, over and over again, there's got to be some kind of a common system that's able to provide a better jumping off point, at least even just to get to the basics in terms of what things cost mm-hmm. and through built and mm-hmm. things like that. And so when I saw your system, uh, the lazy side of me said, um, you know, this would be just the thing for many client organizations who are looking to make these decisions, you know, without having to you know, pay for guys around to do these deep and deep analytics on these cloud technology and typically come up with different answers. So uh, tell uh-huh. me about technology and how it works. 
Yeah, so the technology, again, I have to give homage to, to Brian Kelly, the CEO. He actually wrote the first algorithm that we call CloudRank as a homage to Google's PageRank. And so the whole point is that we want to take input from users about what it is that they want to do, and then we want to align that with capabilities in the industry. So the analogy I often give to people is think of it kind of like Expedia or Kayak. You put in your itinerary for where you want to go, and then we map you to the carriers or quote-unquote cloud providers, public or private, that are going to best meet your needs. And so to net it out, what ends up happening is we take a bunch of different factors, not just technology, which is kind of a misconception. You've got to look at security. You've got to look at service level. You've got to look at distribution of users, and you have to look at the tech stack. And part of why we look at those other things is to make sure we're looking at unintended consequences of change. So if something is cool, but it doesn't have the security you want, you need to know that up front rather than get stung by that later. So we take all those generic inputs, and then we map your quote-unquote itinerary or your application to the different providers that are going to meet your needs. And then we give them what's called a cloud rank score. So that's almost like a credit score or a FICO score for cloud. And so we're coming up with this application is going to have a score of 87 if you put it in this provider, 56 if you put it in this one. And those can be a mix of public and private environments across IaaS, PaaS, and software as a service. So multiple venues, multiple deployment models. Um, and that's really what we're trying to do is to, is to give people guidance on where to put it, um, guidance on the configurations and the details. So, for example, we're not going to just tell you this application is a good fit for AWS. For every component in that architecture, we're going to tell you this component would go on a T2 micro that's going to be configured this way and cost you this much. This type of compliance is an issue in that Amazon data center. This service level criteria is not satisfied if you do single AZ, but is if you do multi-AZ. That's the level of detail that we get down to. And we typically do that, oddly enough, in 30 seconds or less. So our tagline is that we want to make sure that people get insight in minutes, not months. And so this should be very quick. So even in the case of something like a work and lunch, you can do multiple iterations of kind of what if scenarios as we interact with C-suite leaders and tweak and tune different things to make sure that we're meeting their needs. So data-driven output, um, really in seconds or minutes, if you want to do more extensive things, so that people can kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, get their information quickly. So the other way we talk about it, David, is we want to shorten the distance between question and answer. You have a question, we're bringing the industry data to the table, you should be able to get details about that in seconds or minutes. Yeah, and one of the things that um, kind of blew me away when, when uh, Bobby and, and I were on the phone of the first demo is that... Uh, when I asked questions, he would not only say yes, which everybody says, but actually bring up a screen uh, uh, screen display and actually show me how it would work out. So it's a very flexible system. And I think is that the uh, way that the database is designed where it's kind of multidimensional, we're able to take different dimensional views of information yeah. and apply different characteristics to it. And you know, I guess at the end of the day, it's just kind of a big smart database that you guys are gonna be improving over time. Where does... Uh, well, I'm not getting to state secrets here, but you know, how do you guys keep up with the data, keep up with the changes out there? Yeah, it's a great question. So we actually have a, a whole division of the company we call the cloud research team, and they're kind of purpose-built to keep a pulse on the market. So without giving too much away, we do kind of integrate via API with the major providers. And so when Amazon is pushing out changes each night, we're not necessarily pushing those changes into our database every night because we run through our own kind of QA process, but I'll say that we're aware of the changes. They come through on a nightly basis, it goes through our process, and then we push it out. Um, and those guys are even good enough that when there have been anomalies 
um, I'll call them, in the pricing of different public providers. They've even found those, right? This doesn't look right. Three-year reserve pricing in Asia is never this cheap. Something may be wrong. So that's something that we're not going to push out. But that's how they stay on top of it, leveraging APIs for the quantitative stuff. But then, but then also qualitatively, we're trying to understand what the quote-unquote logical equivalents are. And so the example I often give is if we talk about something like GLO balancing, we want to make sure that people don't stumble on what these services or capabilities are called in different venues. So GLO balancing may be implemented as Elastic Load Balancing and Amazon, Traffic Manager and Azure, to use a bad example, something else in Google, something else in something like an HP Synergy. And we're going to take that requirement and translate that into what that means in each venue. And so you can really just focus on capabilities and features and business value, not acronyms and alphabet soup. And so that's really what that team does and how we try to stay on top of the market. The other thing that's interesting, though, David, is not only do we try to stay on top of what the providers are doing, but we try to give you a Rosetta Stone of how the different services they offer relate to each other. So, for example, we want to give people a path from IAS to PaaS to SaaS and backwards and forwards in a, in a provider. So let me talk about this for a second. If I'm looking at running, you know, maybe something that's kind of a SharePoint-like application that I've grown myself, we can show you what that looks like if you run that as infrastructure as a service. We're going to show you every node and what's going to be a, you know, an F series versus an A series versus a D series. We're going to give you all that stuff, storage, recommendations, networking, et cetera. That all comes out. But the engine is also smart enough to say, you know what, you might want to run this piece as a database as a service because Microsoft has a great offering as a PaaS where you can run SQL Server in a managed framework and actually lower your labor and have a different licensing model. But we can also map you to a SaaS like an Office 365. And the cool part about this is we can actually show you all three views of that and put that next to something like your on-prem paradigm for running that homegrown app and give you that in 30 seconds, give you a detailed report in another 30 seconds, and actually give you a, a take-home item to share with the rest of your team. We feel like it should be that easy to make these kinds of decisions because the data is only part of it, David, as you know. The data is one factor. Budget's a big factor, appetite for change, all the other cultural aspects of digital transformation. So when it comes to the data, our thing is don't do stuff in a spreadsheet for weeks that we can do for you in seconds or minutes. That allows you to focus on the other important parts of how to make sure your organization is ready to decide what they want to do, not just to jump after something because they spent a bunch of time doing analysis on it. So you guys aren't replacing cloud architecture, just making their lives much easier and how they can pick the technology and understand what's going to happen and likely outcomes, things like that. So it, it kind Absolutely. of the complexity of making those decisions, which I think where a lot of cloud architects get hung up on and actually come up with different, you know, different solutions. You know, one of the things that, that uh, you know, kind of both drives me crazy and is also very interesting, you know, having run, you know, multiple cloud projects at the same time, um, the selection of the technology and where they go with it, you know, typically arises from the biases of the particular architects that are in there and what they know. And, and that doesn't mean that what they pick won't work. The question that comes up to me, if you're picking technology based on a bias, that that's typically not going to provide you with the most efficient thing, you know, going forward. And that's kind of the same thing, whether you're hiring employees or buying a car, you know, picking any, you know, and so this thing kind of removes the bias from the equation. Is that correct? It, it does. It does remove the bias from, or it, the goal is to remove the bias from the equation. 
The thing that I'll say, though, David, is we don't dismiss the bias because the bias is often grounded in something that people have trouble quantifying. So, for example, maybe someone is leaning heavily towards VMware-based solutions because that's what the organization knows. There, there is something that's quantifiable there because you've got to retrain your people. You've got to retool some of your automation and orchestration technology. That is something that can be mathematically quantified. And so we do a lot of that. If you're on a VMware stack today and you're looking at a cloud provider that does or does not have VMware, that actually comes out in our algorithm. So we will try to quantify those biases and those gut fields and help people quantify what that looks like. Because in some cases, uh, again, as you know, if you're going to move up the stack anyway to leverage things like a PaaS, then the platform or the hypervisor doesn't matter. If you're going to stay on IaaS, that may matter because it could break some of your apps. So we're trying to make it as, as data-driven as possible. Um, not to remove the hunch or the bias, but to just put a finer point on it so that leadership has a way to make a good data-driven decision. So what about, so we're, I guess we're talking about technical debt as well. In other words, your ability to kind yeah. of, um, you know, not toss your existing legacy stuff out the window. And that seems to be, you know, a huge factor that we don't think about, you know, as cloud engineers and cloud architects. When we go and talk to somebody about cloud computing, we look for a wholesale replacement. Yeah of everything they bought mm-hmm. in those five years. And the, and the CIOs will laugh in your face about that because they, they've already made the investment in that. They're already depreciating it. The CFOs have you know, kind of counted in the budget. And is your technology provides the ability to, in essence, kind of look at the value of that and so under, and, and kind of factoring in the fact we do have an existing, I guess it does based on the response to your last question, uh, an existing bias or an existing technical debt we have to consider and the ability to kind of look at that in terms of our decision points. Exactly, David. You're, I think you hit the nail on the head. We're really trying to look at how a mature enterprise would adopt technology. And we know there's going to be baggage and technical debt and bias and, you know, uh, sunk costs in terms of knowledge base and tools. We're trying to look at all those things. So we look at this as this is like a family who's moving from point A to point B. This is not a college student who's broke and has nothing. There are things to consider. What do you need to give away? What do you need to sell? What do you need to purge? What just doesn't fit in a new environment? So we're trying to look at not just the greenfield stuff, but the brownfield stuff. And so let me put a fine point on this. If you've got a legacy application, we want to ingest that information in, and we can show you how well the existing providers, public or private, can accommodate that. So we're a world use case. If you've got an application running on Windows 2003 right now, I won't get specific about providers because I don't want to seem biased, but I'll say all public providers won't treat that workload the same way. Some will accommodate Windows 2003 and some will not. And so you might get great savings if you go to provider A, but you have to upgrade that workload to be at least Windows 2012. There's a cost to do that. So one of the things that sets us apart, David, is we look at not only the cost of the new destination, but the cost of the journey. And so one of the things that we're very excited to roll out as an extension of our platform in the next 30 to 60 days is what we call transformation cost. What is it actually going to cost me to get there? And what is the payback period? If I invest X and I'm going to save Y in that venue, what is the, what is the cost of Z to get from point A to point B? How does all of that play out? And so if I'm running on a legacy operating system or a legacy database, I've got something like a bare metal Oracle database and I want to go to something like a virtual Postgres to move from proprietary to open source, we can help you quantify the cost to make those changes and see if you're going to really save as much as you think you will. So putting you on the spot of it, I'll give you a use case. And so we have a uh, fictitious 
uh, Midwest Tire Company. They do about $20 billion a year in sales. They're leveraging R3 system that were painfully installed 20 years ago. If you remember, we went through that kind of uh, pain point at one time and uh, have very little things in the cloud, maybe a few SaaS things that are looking to, in essence, move their R3 system and move their storage systems and move their database processing from an existing data center where their lease is up uh, to the um, you know two aspects of the cloud or see the potential of cloud. So how would your tool kind of affect uh, the ability to kind of analyze the value of such change or what things would cost or what what things would be saved? Interested in the know. Take your time in responding. It's a kind of a tough question, but mm-hmm. I think you can answer it. Yeah, it's a it's a great question, David. So we we can tackle this a few different ways. So our app our, our our software is made mostly to look at applications because typically the decisions are made at an application level. I'm moving this app, but I'm not moving that app. Or this app that's moving has a dependency on another app that's not. But we've also looked at entire data center transformations or moves, where all the infrastructure, all the software, all the assets are going to move from point A to point B. And so what we want to do is we want to look at, um, typically in a, in a current enterprise paradigm, servers, right, physical or virtual. And then we want to look at all the stuff that's running on that server, right, operating system, configuration under the hypervisor, compute memory, storage. We want to look at things like networking characteristics, storage characteristics, what sort of latency or IAPS do we need to support it? We're really trying to get down to quantify uh, what do you what do you <clears throat> what do you really need? But then we also get above the OS. What are the versions of software that you need? What are the dependencies that you have around databases and middleware and application software? And what we do, David, is we map those things to the different venues you're looking at. Some that you expect, but then also some that you don't. And so that could be something like an AWS or something like an Azure. That also could be a Colo, like a Flexential or a, a Rackspace. That could be, or, or an Expedient. Um, shout out to Expedient, who's a partner of ours, actually got, I think, named VMware Provider of the Year earlier today. Um, they're someone who has a, a VMware software-defined stack. But then also when you think about things like the VMC and AWS. So here's a bucket of resources that I can purchase but I can't necessarily break it down to a T2 micro type level. Well, what would it look like if I took my data center, my physical data center, and moved it into a software-defined data center like the VMC and AWS? Those are all things that we can help the business look at. And so here's what we often do. We'll start with whatever data paradigm they're comfortable giving us. And so that could be a dump out of uh, VMware. That could be a CMDB export. That could be something like an RV tools or a risk networks or other discovery tool that's running. We'll take any of that data, ingest it into our platform, and then we'll mock up or kind of model what it looks like to move those assets to each of those different venues. And so the scoring and the costing comes into play. But the part that I guess some of our secret sauce, David, is many of those enterprises, like that tower company you mentioned, know what they have maybe and where they want to go maybe. But what they don't have often is what is this stuff costing us today? And that's usually where these exercises lose a lot of time. So what we bring to the table, because we've been doing this for the past six, seven years and have hundreds of thousands of scorecards, we can tell that tire company, don't stumble over what Oracle costs or SQL Server or VMware. We can tell you labor rates and software rates and hardware rates. Let's give you our industry standard costs as a baseline. Layer that on top of all your assets in the data center. And that's going to allow us to quickly tell you if you're going to save money or not when you go from your data center to these other venues that you're looking at. And that entire process, David, can be automated so that if people disagree with any of the assumptions, 
very easy to kind of inject new expertise in there, run it again, several iterations. And literally, we can do this many, many times, even in the course of a week, so that people feel like they've gotten multiple layers of how to attack this in the smartest way possible. And you're, you're giving them options. You're not actually selecting the solution. That's kind of the, the power of the thing, right? Exactly. Recommendations, um, not anything that's forcing anyone to go one way or the other. And those recommendations are, are put in front of the customer to poke holes in because they may have certain things that come out. Because often, David, when we put the first set of analysis in front of people, they reveal, well, the reason why they're leaning towards one provider over another is X. That could be we've got a licensing discount that's going to go here. We've got a better infrastructure discount if we go there. So then we incorporate that back into the model, run it again, and then the recommendations are tuned up. But you're spot on. We don't force anything down anyone's throat. We want them to have the information and make the right decision. Um, One thing that I'll share, David, that we've said often in the market, um, when we talk about insight, what, what we're trying to do is to give people insight. And so one of our taglines is what people need is not more information only, right? What they really want to do is to move from information to clarity to insight. How do we define insight? We believe that analytics without advice is really just going to be information overload. Advice without analytics is just opinion. Advice plus analytics is how you get to real insight. So we're trying to give you data-driven output on your data, but also bring other things to the table that we've seen in the market the past six years and give you real insight on how you can get value quickly. Yeah, one of the things I want to go over is kind of a last question is uh, you guys are able to look at things via application types and data types, things like that, you know, use cases and how, and I understand Mm -hmm. analyze applications directly, but, you know, if you're looking at a particular online transaction processing system or a data lake or a data warehouse, it's going to have different fit value cost associated with it, whether it exists in one public cloud provider, the other on-premise, private clouds, you know, any kind of platform options that we have. So, so tell us how you do mm-hmm. that. In terms of looking at those different applications, yeah, it's, it's, a multi-layered, uh, it's a multi-layered way to attack the problem. I think the biggest thing is, uh, what I'll say is that people often don't even know where to get started, David. So um, just a couple tips for the audience real quick. A couple things that people miss often when they do this. I'm going to answer your question and also give a couple things that we've seen. Um, Number one, networking costs are almost always missed. Because the reality is that the compute is what scares people. Um, Security really should concern them more. I often tell our, our customers that price keeps people up at night, but security will turn that into a resume generating event often. So we need to pay attention to that. But storage, uh, data movement, networking are the things that people always forget about. So because we have a methodology and we've done this so many times, we're often asking people questions, David, that they haven't thought about before. They're looking at how much data they need to put there. They're not looking at the different classes of storage it needs to rest on. They're not looking at the different compliance around how that data needs to be encrypted or move at rest or in transit. They're not looking at the egress charges, which is really the secret killer or the hidden killer that's really burning up a lot of folks in their bills. They're not thinking about a different paradigm, right? If you're, for for, uh, a specific example, if you've got what used to be a family of applications that you now divide up, you took one part and put it in the cloud but it's very chatty with something that sits in your data center. You're processing stuff in one place, but sucking all that data back down. That could be a nightly bill for a dev team. And that egress can totally eat up your potential cost savings. And so our methodology is because that's part of our model, we're asking people up front, 
You know, what is your egress? What sort of stores does this need to sit on? And if they don't have the answer, then we will humbly tell them, this is what you asked about that I'm answering, but this is what you didn't ask that you should have. We recommend you plug in this assumption, right? Uh, maybe 4X of the data that you store, you start off as egress, and let's see where that lands. So people can start to visualize that there are some major tipping points as the meter's running on things like data that they didn't think about. Yeah, that's a very good uh, good um, uh, way to leave it. It's a very valuable tool. So we'll uh, learn about where to find you guys on the web in a second. So please pick up a copy of my book, Cloud Computing and SOA Convergence, available on Amazon and other places books are sold. Also, make sure to follow me on Twitter at, at David Linthicum, as well as LinkedIn, where I have several cloud computing courses on LinkedIn Learning. So, um, Bobby, where can we find you guys on the web and you personally? We're at cloudgeneral.com, and specifically, we have lots of videos and white papers um, at resources.cloudgeneral.com. I'm on Twitter at B. Allen Charlotte, think kind of balling in Charlotte, um, just representing Silicon South, like we talked about. And uh, you can see us at events, sometimes speaking on the Cube. Uh, being at events like VMworld and reInvent, and honestly, just trying to help people, especially in the Southeast, make good decisions. Yeah, it's one of the one of my favorite parts of the world. So next time, guys, take good care. We'll talk to you in about a week. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in Cloud, please check out the other ones. Removing hybrid and multi-cloud complexity is the focus of a report that David wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about taking IT to the next level, Download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on data-driven technologies, operations, and business strategies.